Welcome, dear listener, to The Creative Curmudgeon. Today, I have the honor of speaking with the San Francisco weirdo legend, Andrew Goldfarb, who has been performing for a very long time as The Slow Poisoner, is also an author and a visual artist and a creator of Elixir. And what else is there? Uh, That's just off the top of my head. That's that's more than enough. More than enough. All right. Um, so how have you been? Oh, I've been good. Let's see. Um, it's been a little... I didn't know this was you, Jason. I thought you were... I mean, I didn't try very hard, but I just saw a creative curmudgeon, and I was like, okay, cool. Uh, but you're not a curmudgeon. What, um, tell me about the name. That's interesting That because we've interacted we've like hung out like maybe a day a year or something like that and so we haven't had those like day-to-day interactions where like i would i would get curmudgeonly with you we we just like you know hang out and go out to dinner or something but like if if you if if you were living with me you probably would think i was more curmudgeonly than i am but that that's very nice of you to say i dig yeah, we we don't always share the curmudgeonly side, but you know, having known you now for an ungodly amount of time, it would have come out more if you really were very much. Okay, well, I appreciate you saying that. Maybe you're just such a a pleasant person that it's just like impossible to be curmudgeonly around you because you just oh like, no, radiate. I know curmudgeons. No, I know curmudgeons. Yeah, they're they're out there. You know, I I um, I had some curmudgeons. It's like a barnacle or curmudgeon. You know what I mean? It's like a gray mass that accumulates in your mind, and it can be shed. You think you 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 feel that the inner curmudgeon can be done away with with yeah enough enough willpower is what you're saying. I don't know that I agree, but or I, a surgical I, I respect you removal. for that. Yeah. A surgery, you said? Possibly. Trepany. Well, that, that's something different. I was thinking more like, you know, with power of will, like you can overcome bad vibes or whatever. But if you're talking about actual surgical No, procedure, actually, then... I am referring to what you're referring to. Um, but you maybe would have to take a, a gentler approach. The curmudgeon needs to be approached with caution. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky beast. What is your What is your advice for that? Like, how do you... C- deal with a curmudgeon oh uh change change things up that's all for them anyone any curmudgeon leanness you know what i mean just just move the energy around do something new like what, how, you know, what, okay. what, what what's an instance like I in quit, which... okay i quit music uh three years ago it was 2019 and i was burnt out and I was doing the same thing over and over. I was touring, you know, recording, struggling. There was a point where it was just uh, felt unrewarding. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to stop this. Maybe just focus on the visual arts, but stop the music performance for a while. And uh, take 2020 off is what I told myself. You said this in 2019. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I didn't book any gigs for 2020. 
convenient. Yeah, because there was a pandemic. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And so I didn't have to cancel any shows. So do you feel like that was like, like you you, you once told me that, uh, and it was in the middle of the night, we were like talking at like 3 a.m. after getting food from a gas station. And you were talking to me about your theory about time moving backwards. And I'm curious, does maybe, that apply to maybe this? Maybe I smelled it, you know, but I was yeah. probably just, I might have just gotten lucky in that way that it was convenient. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But so then I had quit, but then the pandemic shook things up a great deal. Right. And so I had a lot of time on my hands and I uh, picked up the acoustic guitar again and figured, well, maybe I'll just go acoustic. Cause I was having these nightmares, these recurring stress dreams about touring. And um, actually it was that old place in Arizona that was usually symbolic in my dream of the tour destination I was trying to get to. Where was it that we always did stuff? The trunk space. Trunk space, yeah. And it's old location, or one mm-hmm. of them, anyway. But so I would have these nightmares that I was on tour and I was trying to get to a show at the trunk space, but you know, I was in the wrong state. And um, I, it turns out it's much like the college exam nightmare have you ever had that one i've yeah i've I've had variations of that yeah yeah so this is shared among touring musicians especially independent ones that are doing it on you know on a wing and a prayer so this was the solution to that stress was by going acoustic now i take public transportation to my shows which is why you haven't seen me so much in arizona but the trains do go there i'm sorry so you take you started taking public transportation to shows as a direct result of dreams you were having. And the pandemic having me, uh, having quit music, it led me to the pick up the acoustic guitar with the additional time. On my I hand. see. So you, you take public transportation cause it's easier because than it used to be because you mainly are using an acoustic. Right. I, I see. You know, I started out, with a five-piece band, the Slow Poisoners, we actually mm-hmm. had two cellists. It was terrible. You know, if you get two cellos in the same ring room, the vibrations will threaten to destroy all reality. It doesn't even sound like music. It, it seems a- like a very tricky sort of... I know Rasputina does it well, but it seems like an extremely tricky sort of balance. They're geniuses. Yeah. yeah. No, they, they have it dialed in. Also, they have, like, their own sound person that goes with them. Mm-hmm. But, um, so it... Then moved to, I think, a four-piece, like a regular rock band. And eventually it was a trio, and I was on the road. And in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I lost a bassist, and we had to go down to a two-piece. So it was five, four, three, and then two. And then I was a duo. You, you, lost, a, you lost a bassist in Albuquerque? Like... Yeah, it happens. Hmm, okay. The colonial, the colonial Inn. They, they, just, they just disappeared? Well, I mean, they they told me I was they were disappointed. Oh, okay. I thought you I thought you maybe like drove off and then you didn't like realize that like the basis was it was no, like a I heard about situation. That happening, though, just the other day to a band. I'm sure it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. it does. Uh huh. But anyway, so I was getting more minimal, and then you saw me as a um, one man, as a, maybe you saw me as a duo. I don't know. Then I was a one man electric band with a uh, guitar and a drum, and then it. I moved to just the acoustic guitar now, like a folk singer, right? 
But I realized my ultimate goal is to continue on this journey. And our mutual friend is an inspiration here because I think the next step would be to follow in the amazing footsteps of, um, you know, the fellow that does it just with his voice. Our man. My name is Ryan. Oh, yeah. Acapella. But then it doesn't stop there. It can get easier. The magic of mine, right? But no. Beyond mine, living statue. But then I think my ultimate design as an artist, my ultimate goal is to be a corpse on display, to be stuffed like a like a Wild West hero and exhibit it and still be bringing in the audience. Is it, where is that happens? Like, I, I feel like that's gotta be, I mean, obviously there's like wax sta statues and like whatnot, but there's oh, gotta yeah, be no, somewhere in the world. Oh, out here in Santa Cruz, one of the, the Funhouse statues turned out to actually be a real body. And that body had been one of these corpses that was on display. You don't do it now very much. Actually, if it's over a hundred years old, it's a relic and you can't. I know a couple of places. So it, what you're, so what you're saying is that like legally, if somebody is over a hundred years old, or I'm sorry, if they've been dead for over a hundred years, yeah, then you could theoretically like put the, like display them, but you'd have to dig them up, which seems probably still illegal. So it would have to be like a body that you would have like just like like laying around unburied for and like over a hundred years and then you right you know this it. happens to cats really frequently like have you ever seen one of these like dehydrated embalmed cats like in a fetal position no people have them in their houses because they get stuck in like like they like hot places or whatever and they'll go down i don't know i'm not i have rats so i avoid cats like a plague mm -hmm. but um they'll kill themselves in an interesting way they'll go they'll curl up and become like a little disc uh <laughs> this isn't ringing a bell but um it, it can happen to people too and then you've got one um so what you're saying is that you're wanting to basically like get to the point where you're a corpse on display i i i've, I've been trying to convince my family for a long time to like taxidermy me like when i'm when i'm gone and there's a place like down the road in scottsdale it was just on hbo it was just on the show how to with john wilson like they they showed this place where they like freeze people and it's like why there's also a payment plan i just learned where you can like pay like you know do however many installments until you're until you're dead so i mean like why not yeah totally it's 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 something to leave behind yeah yeah exactly um so what what else are you working on these days? Um, well, I'll show you a little bit. Is this a this is a visual podcast? Yes. Nope. Oh, it's audio. It's audio only. But uh, you can you can, you can describe what you're looking at it, no, or you what you're showing. Well, it is some sort of paper paper mache monster with eyes on all sides of its body and it appears to be the eye appear, appears to be protruding and it can screw in and out and then it is coming in and out of a 
monster with black hair and some purple. Uh, yeah, so that's what I was just looking at. Yeah, so I've been doing that. That's is that is that the same thing that you recently posted on the Instagram? Like you posted a photo of yourself. And yeah, it was with a it was I think it was a Halloween a, photo. It was while I was filming an episode of my TV show, which is what I've been doing um, more frequently lately, rather than playing out of town gigs. I uh, love your TV show, by the way. I I I, uh, I very much. It's Pee Wee's Playhouse meets the Adams Family, which is something I've always. I didn't even realize that, that was what I needed in my life until I saw you ah, you pull that off and then like, well, I was like this yeah is, that was this is the pinnacle the vibe yeah um so i'm working on another episode of that and it got a little grandiose but i'm i'm almost i'm getting there i'm like two-thirds done how long does it take you to like because you only have one as of right now yeah i'd like, like to do one a year is kind of what i aim for but maybe more like a every year and a half kind of thing how long does it take you to do an episode or so far well, the first one took a year. There you go. That makes sense. And this one has already taken a year, but it's not quite done. Do you, when you start working on a project like that, do you just work on it consistently for a, a, a length of time, just like until it's done? Or do you take breaks and work on other things? I put it in chunks. Um for a few reasons. One of them is that I'm also doing uh, other ongoing creative projects like Freaky being a magazine that I've got some sort of schedule to. I'm doing it every nine months now. And uh, you've probably. Oh, I have some Freaky. Friends yeah. are in it, but you've probably seen some recent issues. So you get an idea mm -hmm. of that. So that requires some attention at certain points, too. So what I'll try to do is sort of group like activities together, like. Um, if there's a aspect of the video that thematically fits with something I'm doing for the magazine, I'll do those at the same point in time. So it almost matters more like what the vibe is than the particular project, if you follow me, when I've got a couple of things going. Like, for example, this that you see behind me was a wall animation that I uh, did for the TV show. And what I'm looking at right now is kind of like a square spiral, uh, like a, a black... And it's painted on the wall. So I was yeah. animating the wall, which sounds way more mystical than I mean, but you probably can see what I mean. Or we'll just leave that mysterious. But I was doing that, a visual aspect of the video, a graphical video, visual aspect uh, at the same time where I'm drawing things for the magazine. And then I will say, edit the video at the same time that I'm editing the magazine so that I have the same sort of mindset. Does that make sense? Um, I think so. So basically, like when you're the editing things you're when, the when you're editing is things. A real messy muddy like let's get ideas going and i will do that for multiple projects at the same time when i'm just stating them you know what i mean uh -huh. an aspect of them you're you're just stating like multiple things at the same time and then you're editing yeah. multiple things at the yeah. same time but it's not like yeah I, I i see what you're saying and it's usually aspects of the larger project 
too. But I just try to group like stuff together. It's the same like with like room organization. Like I'm seeing your background and you've got all your like smaller stuff, you know, and that's probably media of some sort on one side and grouped together. So I try to do that with my time in a way, in my mental energy, you know, when I can, because it just makes it flow better. How did you come across that system? Oh, just trial and error, just expedience. You know what I mean? Like it just makes it quicker for me. How did you get into creating stuff to begin with? Like, let's go, let's go way back. Well, pretty quickly as a kid. I mean, we all do some amount of creativity as a creating stuff as a kid, right? Because it's encouraged because they don't know what to do with you some of the time, right? So they'll give you crayons. And some kids really take to it and some don't. And then as I got older, it became evident that it was the way to stay sane, kind of. And it was the way that other, it was the way to interact with the world. It was the way other, it was the only thing other people could see my value, I would say. You know what I mean? Like as a kid, like people saw, oh, you know how to draw. Like it was some way to define like who I was, you know? So people weren't really like giving you attention until they realized that you had some artistic talents. And then Probably like, not. I mean, there'd be no reason to be. <laughs> what, was this? what did I, you know, I was just like some little schlubby, little grubby thing. You know what I mean? But like I was able to like replicate someone's tiny world on a piece of paper and that made them excited. Do you feel like that was ultimately good that like you were given that kind of attention for like a, in, instead of like getting like you know unconditional love or whatever like you were getting uh, well, like interesting question you know because I've reflected on that because my father recently passed and so oh, I'm sorry to hear that all... oh no it was fine I mean good for him really at this point and me and everybody and I I, I you know I love him but it was it was time um but you you look back on all that and it was a little conditional you know what i mean and that played in i think with uh with yeah pop as well um so was it good or not well it gave me a weird drive that led me to here yeah so i appreciate it now now he's gone i'm gonna i've been sort of disentangling and all that and relaxing more you know what i mean but the weird drive came from that appreciation of the one thing that demonstrated that I was passing for human. You know what I mean? Yeah, like maybe unconditional love is a detriment because then people aren't pushing themselves to prove themselves in order to be like worthy. No, 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 no. It should never happen again. It's absolutely not worth it. Never, 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 never. I mean, I'm I, I'm one of the fortunate ones that I think is enjoying it at this point. But no, no. It was, and it was a mid-century thing. I don't think it happens much anymore. Yeah, no, I doubt it. Um, so what led you to music then? So you started with visual art and then what about what about music? Well, it was the early 80s. My brother was a musical prodigy, still is. He does the music for Pokemon. What? Yeah. Uh, outside of Japan. The music in Pokemon, the cartoons with the little yellow guy outside yeah. Japan. My brother, Ed Goldfarb. See, because wow. he had the same dad, so he also was like, you know what I mean? So, um, so, so your brother, who's older than you, he, yeah, he was... Uh... He, he was... So he was playing music. He was a musical yeah. prodigy. He traveled around 
the world as a kid. So that was a heady thing for him and weird for me too, to watch from the shadows. But then I discovered punk rock, which would mm-hmm. be the early eighties, uh, which I actually was attracted to through my love of uh, monsters. And I think dialing back a little bit, because it's even more important, probably in my childhood, I discovered famous monsters of Filmland, the magazine and watching horror hosts and horror movies late at night and really enjoying monster movies and that whole thing. And then Star Wars came along when I was nine. And it was through seeing monster graphics employed in early punk music flyers, not really early, but like early 80s. Um, The band Fang were a big band here. Mm Uh, later ugly things were involved but at first they had very creative flyers with like skulls with mohawks you know Mm -hmm. appealed to me as a monster fan more than like music and then but as soon as i heard like the misfits who were really mysterious at that time like you couldn't find anything like some cassettes somewhere and it was really weird sounding you know uh so that was my bridge though into music was actually through like through punk through monsters that's interesting. And yeah, I could definitely see um, there was like a book uh, Stephen King wrote, Dance Macabre, that was about just like horror in general. It's like a nonfiction book, but he was like he's talked about like the parallel between horror and punk, basically how like horror literature was like the literature equivalent of the Ramones, which I thought was really interesting. So, yeah, what led you to you were saying that like you know you had a band and then you ended up eventually being a one-person band and the one-person band experience with you was not so much now so if you're playing with acoustic but i don't know, do you still use like kick drum while you play or no no i've freed up the rest of my limbic system so when i saw you you uh for the first time i think it was in 2010 and multiple times since then that I've seen you, you play the guitar. Um, and then you are also playing the kick drum at the same time. And you have bells that are connected to the kick drum and, and you're singing. And for most people, most mortal humans, this would be too much to handle at once. And I'm curious how you trained your brain in order to make that work. What's your secret to success? No, it was like tapping my foot. That's all it was. It's tapping your foot hard, though, and keeping it like, you know, the average human, when they're tapping their foot, there's a lot of rhythmic inconsistency. The songs got a lot simpler. Okay, so it's basically just bringing everything down. down. Yeah, because I wanted to get primitive. I was really enamored of, um, you know, when I started out with the five piece and the two cellos, that's clearly a more European influence and was very Baroque and mannered. And uh, I got more, um, I tried to, I, I embraced more of my um, American roots over time. We recorded in Memphis, and I think that gave me uh, a greater appreciation for a earthier sound. And so by the time I got to one-man bandism, it was mainly just sort of stomping up and down and screaming about chickens, which was uh, very liberating. Um, how long did it take you to get I, I, you're I, I get the sense that you're kind of 
downplaying the difficulty of of this but and maybe it just came completely naturally to you off out the gate but how how long would you say it took you to really get that system down of playing the guitar and the kick drum at the same time uh less than a year okay just like doing doing it like every day for like like a year months you know I think I started very simply and my mind was open. You know, I mean, like we've listened to people do so much with so little. Again, my name is Ryan comes to mind. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you can just one of my songs, I just use a chain. And uh, sometimes I'll just substitute a trash can. You don't really need anything. Right. Um, So I figured I'd make it work. Sometimes I've been influenced sometimes about just following the visuals into the sound. Like someone once said that with gear, if they found an amp that they liked the way it looked, they would find a way to make it sound useful. That the visual was like first and foremost? Maybe, and maybe I just, I think I just sort of pictured myself, you know, Hazel Atkins was Mm -hmm. the prototypical one man band, you know, and you just, you, you picture him up in the hills, you know, living in a garbage can with his squirrel friends making a racket wasn't his story that like he didn't realize that like that that what he was doing was like an oddity that he just thought that like when like that's how solo artists performed was like well, which makes perfect sense because he was he had a 78 of hank williams and this was in the 50s and they probably didn't have a tv he lived in uh west virginia i believe up in the hills so on the record, it just said Hank Williams, you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't like a, like a swing record and it, it was making that kind of noise. So he figured that's what it was, which is perfectly logical. And that leads you to, you know, where he got, but then you had his person as a songwriter, you know, that's really where the man excels and a love of chicken. There's something about one man bands and chicken. It's just, it, it's an identification with the rooster and the decapitation, I think. Like you feel that like the roost the rooster is sort of uh it's a solitary a sa- it's a sacrifice. You know, oh I see your head. Like like basically like the rooster is a solitary creature and so like the one man in death, you know, when your head is severed, yeah, there's a there's a I eventually you'll reconnect with the great mother hen above. You know what I mean? But at that moment, you're cut off from everything you know. Do you believe in life after death? Oh, uh, I bet something something's wacky about the whole deal. Do you think right? something gets weird? I mean, I mean, it's something. It's it, this definitely isn't a boring place with a boring ending. It won't be boring. I guess that's all I can say. It's a something, something. There's something happening that's you know trippy. Why do you think that? Because it's weird here, and it keeps changing on us. Okay, that makes sense. Um. Do you have a general creative routine? Like, do you like kind of perform? Do you, are you are you creative at your creative best at a certain time of day? Do you set aside time each day? Like, how do you how do you go about it? Yeah, I have a system, and I'm actually going to grab my system because I can sort of explain. Just I can just take today as an example, right? So, like, I keep a book, um, like a date book, and in it i have listed the ongoing projects like for me i've got um formatting the next issue of freaky i've got 
creating a set of stickers for uh, a company and also working on a performance piece. So I've got three things going on. And then um, underneath one of them that's sort of most urgent, I've got the next step. So I know if I have time to kill, what it would be best to kill with. You know what I mean? Like it's right there. Like if you can afford a spare moment, do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like, you know, if you, if you just have time and you want to make stuff, then it might be a little bit harder to like know where, especially for you or somebody like you who, you know, you know, you, you write and you do art and you do music and whatnot. So like where to even start so yeah, like but it's actually not even a question of if I decide to make art, you know what I mean? It's basically that's there. And then the absolute two must things are on it, which are the podcast with you and a date with my wife. Nothing else. Is I like that I'm that. first. I like that I, I, I'm i above like a date with your wife. So thank it you. It was sequential in time. Oh, OK. It's not rocking and rolling on her own right now, literally. But um, so because those are sequential in time when this ends and we shouldn't do more than an hour because no one should hear me for more than an hour. So let me know when we get there. Sure. Um, I'll have to do the other thing. There's nothing else on there. Do you, do you just work on stuff then when you just like have, you know, Oh, like I have, I have a few minutes right now. Let me go. Let me go to my book. Yeah. Unless for some reason, it just really just seems icky at the moment. Yeah. How do you decide? Let's say I, I was listening to your song Hot Rod Worm earlier today. And so let's 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 take the Hot Rod Worm as an example. Have it on Highway 29, just outside of Creston. I was on my way to Button Willow, hauling a load of casket handles and chicken feed. I happen to glance in my rearview mirror and I spot this big cloud of dust coming up fast behind me. It was a souped up jalopy, a Ford model bucket tee. But it's what I saw in the driver's seat that had me checking my eyelids for pinholes. Cause behind the wheel of that automobile was nothing but a big brown worm. A non-arthropod invertebrate. He didn't have a foot to break with or an arm to steer, but he sure could lay on the gas. It was a hot rod worm. It was a hot rod worm. Yeah. So did you come up with that? and then decide oh this would be best in a song as opposed to a character in a novel or i mean i know you also did a painting involved as you often do like with your with your music there's a visual art component but how do you decide oh i have this like weird idea i'm going to funnel it into like this thing or do you are you working on the music first and then the hot rod worm pops into your head Let's just look at the case of the heart rod worm, because there's probably variations on how this happens. But it started with an intention of what kind of thing I wanted to do. 
And before we get into it, have you ever heard Poe describe how he wrote The Raven? I don't think so. We might want to touch on that because it's pretty interesting. But um, so I knew I wanted to write a song that told a story because I felt like it was a neat thing, you know, uh, story songs. And I probably just got that inspiration from maybe, you know, for whatever reason, maybe I heard one, whatever reason I was thinking about story songs and thinking it'd be cool to write a story. Uh, how I got from there to a worm and a hot rod isn't hard. These are the sort of things I think about. Like when my brain relaxes, it's full of worms and hot rods. I mean, what else, what else is, you know what I mean? Like if I'm thinking about well, what was on earth? Well, there were worms and there were hot rods. It's like kind of the first things that come to mind, right? So I just put them together, you know, mm -hmm. probably, I don't remember exactly, but I'm just thinking back logically, that's probably what happened, right? So you just put them together, right? If you're gonna tell a story, what's the low hanging fruit? I usually go with the first damn idea I get in absolutely anything, because it just doesn't matter. One idea is almost as good as the next. What matters is just following through. As long as the idea is interesting enough that you can remember it, you might as well do it. And it really doesn't matter whether it's that idea or the next one that comes along. So I just did it. You know what I mean? So I wrote the song and then I bumped into some guys that wanted to make a video. And I said, well, I got this one that tells a story and that's how the video happened. So basically like you're just like kind of going about your day, like do a lot of your ideas come about that way where you're just kind of going about your day. And then you're like, what if a worm drove a hot rod? Yeah, I feel like I actually have seen that somehow. I mean, not like that size, but like, I think I saw someone in a, no, that couldn't be. So you feel like, you feel like if I'm understanding you correctly, you feel like ideas in and of themselves are kind of like overrated. That like a lot of, because a lot of people, myself included, will wait until having oh, a good idea. Oh, no, not that they're to... overrated. It's just that they're all good. Okay, so it's that all ideas are underrated. So basically, like yeah, if you have yeah. if you have an idea, just go with it because it's probably some some level of good. I would suggest that. I, I think I would ascribe to that. I mean, I haven't really thought this through, Jason, but um, I think I think I do believe that because I don't. I, I I'm weirdly lazy in my way. Like if an idea pops into my head, it's like, oh, good, I've got an idea. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to. You don't want to lose it. You don't want to like disrespect it by like saying, well, you're no good. I mean, it's it's like a it's like a little baby idea, right? You got to like at least like give it the time of day. Listen to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's got some it's got some life like in and of itself. There's a reason why it exists. Do you feel like it comes from some sort of like outside place? Oh, I don't you know, however you want to look at it, it just doesn't matter. If it, you want it to be the flying spaghetti monster or chromosomes or breakfast cereal, it 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 just doesn't matter. Do you like has completing longer projects or any sort of project based on an idea? Was that always something that kind of came naturally to you? Like having that kind of follow through or uh, more and more as things got easier and easier over time is you kind of 
figure out how to do stuff. I mean, life nowadays, really anything you want to do, you can do because the tools are so readily available, right? You can do anything now, just not terribly well, easily, I would say. When you're working on something, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up your books as an example. Do you generally map out everything in it before you start working on it? Or is it kind of like you start working on it based on an idea and then just like weird shit happens as you're writing it? I think it's actually the latter when I was writing books, because I remember my first one was called um, Ballad of a Slow Poisoner. And mm -hmm. this was a long, long time ago. And Carlton Mellick, who's now like a famous weirdo, was just starting out with doing stuff and was doing an ebook thing, like before they were even ebooks. It was called a rocket book. No, he was reading them, but my friend, it was a long time ago, my friend was making them and he was reading them and putting out stuff on them. It was a digital book at first, and it out outsold the Bible briefly, Ballad of a Slow Poisoner. But when I wrote it, it was just a bunch of gibberish, but it turned out in the end to have a fantastic ending where everything was resolved perfectly. And it was like, I think the same could be applied to life, which is why I'm going to go over Niagara Falls. What do you mean? When I'm 100. I think when a spectacular ending can redeem, you know, any effort made previous. You're gonna, you're, you're, I, I, I've seen that in in your author descriptions, but just just to clarify, you're going to jump Niagara Falls when you turn a hundred. That's the plan. But someone did it recently and lived. Really? Well, you're you'll and be. He 100. had the same thought. It was like this ne'er do well. They'd never really done anything with his life, but he figured, hey, if I go over Niagara Falls, that's something. But he figured out he could do it in a certain way without a barrel, this guy. And he lived and he was right. And this is now what he's known for. But this was after I came up with the uh, original idea. I was inspired by people that didn't live and looking at the remains of their barrels, which I saw as a kid. Anyway. So um, sometimes you don't know exactly how it's going to end. Sometimes you do. It's a good question. You know, so I think I'm going to go over Niagara Falls with a barrel. But anything could happen between now and then. I just turned 55 and that would be 100. It seems awfully young to me now. I think maybe at 150. But when I was writing books with the Ballad of a Slow Poisoner, the one I was referring to, which I think, you know, some of these efforts, because they're print on demand, they will never go out of print. So they just exist forever. And that's true of the music too. You can't turn it off. It's there just doing its thing. But it was a murder mystery. And in the end, all the characters involved had all endeavored to kill and succeeded in applying some poisonous aspect to um, the ultimate victim, which I was surprised that that's how it turned out. So you never know what you have inside your noggin that might bleed on into that last chapter so basically your creative pursuits are very very similar to your plan to jump niagara falls in that like you have a rough idea you have a rough plan but then like something may come across and you know as you're writing you're like oh this instead or in addition to right how do you stay weird andrew so like let me let me let me clarify let me clarify the question if that's okay. So basically just the 
pressure from, you know, coworkers, family members, whatever, straight society to conform, to put it in a very simplistic term. It seems like it's very hard, especially the further you get into adulthood, to not kind of settle into that in some way or to kind of like have your weirdness be kind of tapered down a little bit. And I don't get the impression that that's something that like applies to you. And I'm curious what your secret is. Well, it probably applied to me a little bit more previously. I think you do get, um, I just turned 55. Mm -hmm. And I do find that with, and talking to other people in their 50s. How old are you, Jason? If you don't mind my asking. I don't. 39. So I think it, it will, it may get easier a little later. Because it just, you tend to get into a kind of like, I'm only going to want to do, I'm only going to do what I really want to do kind of state of mind at a certain point when you realize that you're, you know what I mean? Like, it's either that or when are you going to live the way you want to live? You know what I mean? So So I think it's easier with age to sort of shrug off any kind of like, well, the other day, like I was on the street with a um an entire dumpster full of eyeballs you know filming something and i uh you just got to be proud to be on the street with a dumpster full of eyeballs you know what i mean and then other people respect it and they're like yeah goddamn why aren't i on the street with a with a whole thing of eyeballs so being on tour was an ability to sort of get into that artistic mind space and stay in it for an extended period of time, which is one of the reasons why I think I enjoyed it because you can stay in that weird place, you know, that you, you get to when you're making art and performing art, I would sort of stay in that, you know, for the whole duration where like I'd be at the uh, truck stop at two in the morning, just being weird, you know? And uh, you can do that with your whole life. Uh, But yeah, it's tough if you've got to show up at work. You know, hopefully you find a job where they can let you do more of that. And then I think at a certain age, it's like you can because no one else knows how to do whatever it is you do there anymore. And uh, hybrid work has helped with, you know, any sort of societal day job sort of because I have a day job. And um Living in San Francisco helps because, you know, actually the whole denigration, the whole like decay of society has helped with being a weirdo because it's like, I don't know if you've got this fentanyl thing, but it's very liberating because no one's wearing pants. Everybody's folded over in half, kind of like just in a state of ecstasy in the gutter and it's everywhere. And it's like, wow, you know, I my whole basket of eyeballs is nothing compared to that. You follow me? Unfortunately, I do. Um, so when you started at your work, do you, did you have to kind of like tone it down? Like, hello, yeah, my name they is knew Andrew. who I was actually like, they, they, they looked you up. They realized I'm in San Francisco too. Well, no, like, like the guy had seen me play and this is like a straight job, but like, just, you know, I've been around. Um, yeah, San Francisco, it's also easier. But, you know, I think there's more tolerance now of weirdos. I mean, everybody's a weirdo in some aspect of their life. Something is going on that's, you know, a little bit like you wouldn't talk about to the guy in the next cubicle. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe the fact that you have more access or one has more access to 
seeing other weirdos just over the world and like seeing people that have stuff in common with them on some level, maybe there's more of a liberation to be a weirdo than if you just like only talk to the people on your street or at your job or whatever. And like, there isn't that same like point of reference for like, Oh, I can be my version of a weirdo like this person because nobody's being that weirdo in themselves. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I have noticed like it, I think in my best, use as a human being on this planet has been sometimes when I'd be on tour and I'd play like a small town or something and there'd be people there they're like wow you know I think kind of the way you do I'm interested in these things but I thought it was really strange but you know that's cool that you're doing it and you're able to just go around doing this you know it can be helpful for folks to see especially on a um you know uh non-commercial kind of basis mm-hmm. um our our mutual friend space alien Donald um has had a similar story loosely to what I think you were describing, which is like up until a certain age, I think till he was around my age, he was a pretty straight-laced guy born in the 30s and not coming of age when there was really like any sort of counterculture that was like, I mean, I'm sure there was, but like not in the way that, you know, it kind of became in like the 60s and beyond or whatever. But at some point just getting like, fed up with the with the charade of it all and then saying like you know screw this i'm going to be an out weirdo um and not only that but like an out weirdo that's like not even fitting into a movement of supposed weirdos like hippies or punks or whatever like he was a singular space alien but yeah it seems like you know just like mounting frustration about just like fitting in with society or whatever that just kind of one day you just decide it's not worth it is that kind of what you're saying with your experience oh well i was i mean i was i flirted with the idea of getting i'm sure you were always weird like that don't don't get me wrong i never got terribly normal really Uh, it, it never like like i almost got like a real career job i mine is a little more under the radar i was about to be a teacher at one point and i was like oh wait no this is way too much energy going into something that you know what i mean i don't even know that like children should learn how to read like or exist um so no i didn't get too close to normalness but like, yeah, the wrong the wrong relationship can really suck you into that. Definitely, you don't want someone that views the world like a whole lot straighter or looser than you do. You know. Mm-hmm. What is your What is your advice for people who want to really let their freak flag fly? Like, what do you think is a good starting point? Well, I think it's it. There is something to the following your bliss or interests, you know, like um, just it's just a matter of taking whatever you got and pushing it further and further and further and further. You know, like um, I wouldn't worry too much about technical skill. Definitely. You know, like the I mean, the art I do is more refined, I think, by ideas than like actual technique, you know, Um So don't be inhibited about anything, you know what I mean? Like you don't know how to play the guitar or whatever, if you want to make music on a guitar, like I really wouldn't worry about that because you can just have one string, you know, in the wrong tuning and pluck it with a fork and it's going to be interesting. 
It's easy. Uh, I do recommend productivity over like perfection. Like more is more important than quality. Productivity over quality, I would say. Don't worry about how good stuff is. Just just make stuff. Um, what do you? What is your hope for how you and your material are remembered? Like, what do you think the message is that you would hope for, or do you care? Oh well, I'm not too concerned about like if I were not here, but while I, I am, I think it's basically just to just to keep it, it help keep it weird. You know what I mean? I think weirdness is healthy for the mind. Uh, I think it because the I think we started this conversation something about curmudgeonliness and that with a changing of the energy, a changing of direction, some of those barnacles fall away. And I think with the creation of any art, you know, you're introducing new life into the world. It's like an inherently positive thing, like just pulls you out of depression. And I think that's why I was, when I say, I realized it was the way to not go insane as a kid. It was a way to be happy. You know, like any, really any day I can be having isn't wasted if at some point I make something or create some sort of idea. And it can be whatever, whatever appeals to me, you know? But I find more that the things I was attracted to as a kid, like, for example, playing with clay. Like now I find that I do it, but I make stop motion animation out of it. But the same attraction to like molding something in my fingers to make, you know, a friend is mm -hmm. something I would have done as a child. So some of the clues are there. The clues are all around us. Really, all we need to do is follow our individual clues. They happen on like a like a daily basis. You know what I mean? Like some weird scrap of paper you see in the gutter that's got a picture of an owl on it, you know, and then later you realize, oh, the owl that's what'll keep those maggots away. And then my toe will be okay. So just being attentive to your surroundings and letting, letting yeah, stuff and open come. to how weird it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, expect it to just, you know, not be full of owl maggots because it is, there's so many maggots and so many owls. Yeah. I've noticed that too. Yeah. Um, is there anything else uh, you would like to... No, we'll say? leave it with the owls and the maggots. That's, that's all there is to say. Go out on a high note. Thank you so much for joining me uh, to this fine day. Yeah, Jason, right on. 